Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, July 3rd, 2022. And today we will be looking at perhaps the best known parable in the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son as it's known. Of course, it's not just the prodigal son, it's also about his father and his older brother, Three fascinating characters. And to, uh, to set up the, the parable itself, we need to look at a little bit of background information that, of what's happening in, in Luke chapter 15. The chapter begins with verses 1 and 2, and there we find that the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. Now, when the Pharisees speak of sinners, they're speaking of a a specific class of people. The Pharisees themselves are sort of the the moral leaders of society. They're laymen. They're not priests, but they um, fervently teach and enforce the idea that God saves those who keep his law well enough. And so their, their idea of salvation is to keep God's laws, and, and to do so, they make more laws in the hopes of keeping you from getting anywhere close to breaking God's law. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that included the, the command from God that everyone should rest on the Sabbath and do no work. Well, to help make sure that that took place, the Pharisees made another rule that you couldn't touch money on the Sabbath. Why? Because the one who works does so for pay. But if you can't touch money, then you can't buy anything or sell anything or earn anything. And so the Pharisees made a law saying you can't touch money on the Sabbath to discourage you from breaking the third commandment. Now, the Pharisees might have good intentions. They want a moral society. They want a God-pleasing society. But they're trying to do it by keeping the law well enough to be saved, which, of course, they cannot do. But that's sort of the mindset of the Pharisees. At the same time, they speak of sinners. Now, sinners are those members of society who aren't even trying to keep God's law because of their very situation, because of the, 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 um, the lifestyle they have, there is no way they can keep God's law, much less the Pharisees laws. And, and so they simply don't even try. So where you and I think, of course, in our definitions that everybody is sinful, everybody is a sinner, for the Pharisees, that's a specific group of people who aren't even trying to make themselves holy by, by keeping all the rules. So among the sinners of society, the Pharisees would include tax collectors who, who work for Rome and collect taxes to send to the, the hated Caesar and, and who usually are, are stealing from their fellow Jew by, by, by skimming money off the top. Um, Prostitutes would also be considered to be manifest sinners because they're, they earn a living by, by immorality. 
And so again, sinners in general are, are those who are, are not even trying to keep God's laws, who don't believe they can be saved by keeping God's laws, which is quite a distinction be, between them and, and the Pharisees. If you asked a Pharisee, are you a sinner? They would say, I do my best to keep God's law and I'm not a sinner because I'm trying to keep God's law. Now, if you have one group that's trying their best to keep God's laws and takes that seriously, and you have another group that says, I can't keep God's laws, so I'm not even going to try. Which group would you expect God to hang around with if he became flesh? I think everybody would expect the Pharisees because at least they're trying but Jesus hangs out with the sinners instead. He, he speaks with them. He teaches them. He, he spends time with them. And it's a big deal. He eats with them. He invites them as, as, as his fellow um, diners at meals. Now, why does Jesus spend his time with, it, with them? Because the Pharisees see no need for Jesus. In their minds, they're not sinners because they're trying to keep God's law. So in their minds, since they're not sinners, they don't need forgiveness, so they don't, don't need Jesus. The sinners, though, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and others, they're more likely to despair because their conscience is accusing them they know they won't be saved by the law that they're not even trying to keep. And so Jesus goes to them and says, you can't make yourself holy by the law, so repent and trust in me. All right, so there you have the two groups, the Pharisees and the sinners. And as Luke 15 begins, the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And in response, Jesus tells three parables. The first two are, are rather short. The third one is our, is our text for the day. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep in verses 3 through 7. And, and so Jesus speaks of, of a shepherd who has 99 sheep safe and, and one has wandered away. And so the, the shepherd searches everywhere for the sheep. And when he finds it, he, uh, he puts it on his shoulders and he, he carries it home rejoicing, which to me sounds like really a, a dedicated shepherd because if a lost sheep caused me that much trouble, I would in no way be joyful about it. Might even kick the sheep all the way home. But of course, this is Jesus uh, declaring that he has come to save the lost and so the lost sheep of that parable is the sinner, the one who needs to be found and forgiven by the Savior. In fact, it's interesting when Jesus tells this parable here in Luke 15, the 99 sheep are not forgiven sinners back at home. Rather, the 99 are the Pharisees who believe they need no repentance. And so the lost sheep is the one who, uh, who ends up being saved. The 99 believe they are saved, but since they see no need for repentance, they're actually lost. When the lost sheep is brought home totally by the work of the shepherd who even carries it, 
Well, that's when the friends and the neighbors rejoice and celebrate. And these are are the angels who have joy in heaven over just one sinner who repents. Then in verse 8 of this chapter, we have the parable of the lost coin. And this is a woman who who loses one coin out of out of a hundred. She searches all over the house for it. And when she finds it, she rejoices and she holds a party for her neighbors to celebrate finding this coin. And the party may well cost more than the actual worth of the coin itself. So this is outlandish joy at the discovery of the lost coin. And so we should rejoice all the same that that when one sinner repents, when one sinner is found um, by our Savior, all of heaven rejoices. Now, just to keep things uh, in perspective, proper perspective, um, all of heaven does not rejoice because, say, the sinner named Timothy Pauls is such a great guy that now he's saved. Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents because that's why Jesus shed his blood. And all of heaven always rejoices in, in Jesus and his work of salvation. All right, so after the Pharisees have grumbled that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them, Jesus tells two short parables about about Pharisees and sinners. The Pharisees are the 99 sheep. The sinners are the one lost sheep. The Pharisees are are the coins that are not lost. And the, the sinners are the lost coin that is found. And after these two very short and beautiful and introductory parables, then we get to the big parable of the chapter, the parable known as the parable of the prodigal son. And it begins like this. And he and Jesus said in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, so as as this parable begins, there's a man with two sons, and and one son is the sinner, and one son is the Pharisee. And this first son, the younger son, is the sinner, the one who makes no attempt to keep the law whatsoever. And so he's brazen enough to go to his father and, and ask for his share of the property. In other words, father, I can't wait until you're dead. I want my half of the inheritance now. And in his inscrutable wisdom, the father gives him his half of the inheritance. And no surprise, this disrespectful, brazen son soon packs up all that he has and journeys to a far country 
and he squanders his property there in reckless living. In fact, his older brother later on will say that that the son partied with prostitutes until the money was gone. So, so this is kind of the quintessential sinner who has no desire whatsoever to, to be holy by keeping God's law. But sin doesn't pay. And in this case, after he spent everything, there's a severe famine in the land. And he's in need. He has no money. He has no friends. They left with the money. And so he goes out and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that foreign country who sends him into his field to feed pigs. And he ends up envying the pigs because they're eating better than he is. Now, the choice of pigs here is kind of a, a big deal in the parable because this, this son started out as, as the, a Jewish son in a good household. He, he had no desire to honor his father or keep God's law. So he departs to a different country, to a Gentile country. He parties it up there with no regard whatsoever for the law. And he ends up not just broke and friendless, but he ends up terribly unclean because pigs are unclean animals. And, and, and so this, this, this son who once had a pretty good position in life is now destitute, friendless, unclean, and the pigs have it better than he does. I mean, it's just a masterful short story of, of how this, this, this son debases himself with sin until he has nothing left. This is about as bad as it can get and him to still be alive. All right, so in verse 17, we read, But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. All right, so Jesus says when, 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 the, when the son came to himself, in other words, this, this horrible state that he's in has a purpose. The law always accuses. And so, so now this, 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 uh, this son's circumstances have said, look, you had it great before. Your sin has made you um, poor and, and friendless and envious of pigs and their food. So, so maybe repentance is the way to go. And so the son repents. He changes his, his mind, his worldview, and says, I should go back to my father's house before I die. And then he has to figure out a way to get his father to take him back. And so he works out a three-point speech. And his three-point speech is this. One, I have sinned against God and you, Father. Two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son because I wished you were dead and took my inheritance and lost it. So three, therefore, let me work for my keep in the house as one of your servants. Now, this to me seems eminently fair on the son's part. 
It's the best shot he has at getting back into the house. So we read in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So this is really the first look we get at the father. It was kind of questionable before that he he uh, he gave all this to his son at the son's request, even though the son insulted him. But this is kind of a an illustration of how though we sin against God, he keeps giving us all good things. And now when the son returns home, we find the father who sees him a long way off as if he's been looking a long way off in hopes that his son comes home. And when his father sees him coming, he doesn't say, bar the door, keep him out. He doesn't wait by the door for the son to return, picks up his robes, and out of compassion, he runs to his lost son. He embraces him and he kisses him. And this, too, is a marvelous illustration that rather than leave us in our sin, God comes near. He runs to us in compassion. He becomes flesh and and embraces us, takes our sin, and goes to the cross and dies for us. All right, so the, the father shows by his actions that the son is welcome home. The son doesn't quite get what that means yet. And so he begins his speech. He says... Remember the three parts, by the way. I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy, so hire me on as a servant. Those are the three parts. Let's see how the son does. He starts out and says in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he gets through parts one and two, but that's as far as he gets. He never gets to say part three. He never gets to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. Why? Well, the father lets him say the first two parts because they're an honest confession that needs to be said. I have sinned against heaven and before you. That is absolutely true. The son broke the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. So he sinned against God by breaking his commandment. And he certainly sinned against his father in dishonoring him. So that part of the speech is true. The father lets him confess it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That also is true from the sins that he has committed. But what the father won't let him say is not a confession. It's it's the request Treat me as one of your hired servants. The father interrupts him, doesn't let him say that, but instead he says to the servants he has already, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So 
the son never gets to ask to be a servant because the father says, no, you're not going to be in my household because you work for it. You never were my son because you earned the right. You're my son because you were born into the family. And this is key. The son says, let me join the household by my service, by my works. And the father says, no, you're not my son because you've worked for it. You're my son because you were born to me because you're my son. And because you're my son, you're welcome in the household. And so what does the father do? He makes sure that his son is clothed. A fattened calf is killed. A sacrifice is made for a feast. And then they eat and celebrate because the son who was dead is alive again. And all this, of course, is, is, is marvelous. God the Father says to you, you're not my child because you worked for it. You're my child because you were born to me in holy baptism by water and the word. And there I clothed you in Christ's righteousness because Christ was already sacrificed for you that you might be forgiven. So now you're in my household. Come, come dine at my table, um, my son's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins and let us celebrate. So the first son then in this parable is, is a... Uh, is a portrayal of, of the sinner. Remember the, the sinner that the Pharisees despised who says, I'm going to die if I remain in my sin. So perhaps I can make a deal with God and work for salvation. And God says, no, you can't earn the right to be my child. But for Jesus' sake, I'll make you my child. Get in the house and let's celebrate. So now we have the older brother left to speak of, and he is the portrayal of the Pharisee in this parable. And, and Jesus continues by saying this in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. All right, so you can, you can see how the older son here, the older brother, is, is such a great portrayal of the Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees were grumbling at the start of the chapter that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And now the older son is grumbling outside the house that his father has received his younger son and eats with him. And the, uh, the, the rationale of the older son is this. The whole time your other son, not my brother, your son has been away, 
I've been working hard to be your son. I've earned the right to be your son. He's not my brother anymore. So what does the father say in verse 31? He says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So two great announcements from the father here. One, well, maybe three, actually. One is that um, the father says to the older son, once again, you're not my son because you've earned the right to be my son. You're not my son by your works. You're my son because you're born to me. So get in the house and be my son. Just like Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you're not saved because of your works. You're saved because I'm making you God's children by dying in your place. By my grace, you are sons of God. So get in the house and celebrate with the sinners because you're all forgiven by my blood. Now, along with that, uh, the the father says to the older son, uh, another great thing. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And this is sort of a little, a little bit of joy, not the main point of the parable, but if all that he has belongs to the older son, then how come the, uh, the younger son is in the house eating from the fatted calf. And, and, and the joy here, a little point, is that the, the father has unlimited resources. Because the father here is, is, is God the Father Almighty. And so when, when he gives to one, he doesn't have less to give to others. And so all that he has uh, is yours. All that he has is mine. All that he has is ours in Christ. So with this parable then, Jesus declares to the Pharisees, that's to whom he's speaking, that that he understands that there are sinners who, who have made no attempt to keep God's law, but they're saved by his grace. They're children of God by his grace. And he understands that there are Pharisees who have sought to be children of God by keeping the law. But they too are saved by his grace. And so both sinners and Pharisees are welcome in the household of God by uh, by repenting of their sin, by rejoicing that they are forgiven for the sake of Jesus, who forgives them, who pardons their transgressions, and who makes them clean. And whether it's a sinner who repents or a Pharisee who repents, all of heaven rejoices when just one sinner repents, for that's why Christ has died. So rejoice. Christ's forgiveness is for you. By his grace, you are a child of God, not by your works, but because he's made you his child, he's adopted you, brought you into the house, And the kingdom is yours forever. So, God's blessings on you as you continue to meditate upon this text. 
God grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Goodbye.